0: a good way to kind of ground yourself and see if what you're doing is really worth it is to ask yourself to have the question do i want to do this the only two available answers are either fuck yes or absolutely not and if it's not the first one then don't do it but man i get a lot of bad of bad requests and if you're on the fence the answer is it has to be no because it's not worth your time Hey
1: and welcome to episode 27 of WebFlail, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the greatest failures behind the greatest webflowers, because success often comes after learning from many failures. I'm your host Jack, a failure connoisseur, and today my guest is Arnal Ross Salvador. He is a freelance web designer and content creator based in Barcelona, and with almost 30k subs on his YouTube channel, he's creating content for freelancers all about the no-code space and design inspiration and web development. That's when I first came across him, actually, so it's kind of crazy to have a conversation with him face-to-face in this pod. So honoured to have him on the show. And he also has a dialogue with designers, which is basically like an interview series, uh, where he interviews people like Michael Janda and Dot Lung to name drop a few people. And it's well worth checking out. So if you haven't checked out his YouTube channel already, do. He is also in the process of starting a SaaS company and he's doing talks. He gets invited to events. He's doing all sorts of interesting things. Let me just drop a couple of things that happened in 2022 for him. So he reached a million YouTube views. He guested it on six podcasts. He's done a collaboration with Flux Academy, with Ran Segal, uh, Peyton Clark Smith, a few other people. He's become an awards jury. Uh, he's guest lectured at a university. So let's get into his failures because that's the juicy stuff that has made him the person he is today. And all those lessons from those failures have made him a really prolific creator. So without further ado, let's get into this episode, episode 27 of Webflow with now Ross Salvador. now pleasure to have you with me on the Webflow Podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me, man. That was a great intro.
1: Awesome. You are a very interesting person to have done a little bit of research on before this episode. There's all sorts of different things that I want to talk about. You've lived in various different countries. You have had such an interesting kind of creative career, trying out stuff and just going for it. But I want to start with you at school. So you started freelancing at 15. You had a sticker business, you had a clothing line, you were setting up Shopify stores. <laughs> Talk to us about that so we get a flavor of where you've come from.
0: Yeah, sure. So school for me was was a bit of a struggle, if, if you want to call it that. But my my main enjoyment, even in, in early years, was trying to come up with uh, businesses and trying to come up with things that I could sell and mainly just trying to follow where my passions were at the time, which for some reason wasn't clothing. Uh, I started, like you said, that. That super random sticker business, but a lot of my joy came from entrepreneurship at the time, which um, later evolved into me and my support group, which is my my two older brothers, doing a lot of entrepreneurship, um, a lot of trying, a lot of different softwares, a lot of SaaS. It all mainly stems from those earlier years of. Learning, you know, Facebook ads for this clothing store that I wanted to build and just trying a bunch of different stuff. And ultimately it's, it's been a great journey, you know, so far. If, but YouTube and, you know, the podcast and doing all the things I'm doing now is ultimately like the, the last thing out of everything that I've tried. And this is the one that finally looks like it's sticking a little bit to the wall.
1: Yeah, I mean I think there's this idea of like an overnight success, you know people see you and they're just like,
0: "Oh my god, he's
1: so young and he's doing such great things." But actually, that's been 10 years of falling flat on your face multiple times, just yeah. kind of learning from from trying out stuff and uh and going mm-hmm. from there. But I've heard that you say you, you didn't exactly enjoy school so much and you were like all your friends are trying to apply for internships and you're like,
0: ah, I've kind of got clients, like why would I do that? Yeah. So- that, yeah. Yeah, that was mainly at, at uni where I was um I was already gaining quite a, a, a good traction with clients and with YouTube. And well I started YouTube when I was in uni and as a result of that, well during COVID actually, I started the the channel. It was a, it was a COVID project. And I said, you know, I've got all this free time now and I was it's now or never you know I've always wanted to do this and now there's no excuses so when it started to pick up I was in my final year and I think I reached over a thousand subs and I got monetized and so I was I was making a a little bit of money from it Mm. but the main income was obviously from freelancing still I was at a point where you know I was looking at possible salaries coming out of coming into the design field as a junior you know as a junior industrial designer, which is what I, I applied as, or I'm, I'm working as. And, mm-hmm. you know, the salaries in, in London at the time was around 23 K, 25 um, a, a year, you know, <laughs> not, mm-hmm. not, not even anything remotely close to, to what you could be making as a freelancer. So it, it was just a, a, a very simple, you know, do I want to go into the agency route or in-house where I'd be getting paid like a fraction of, of what I could be making freelancing probably not you know i'd I'd rather just stick the course that i'm on now it seems to be on the up so let's just double down on it
1: yeah and you actually got one one of your long-term clients from youtube as well isn't that right
0: yeah yeah so the story behind that one is i was you know doing smaller jobs doing you know website here website there i had a pretty consistent stream but not nothing that would just like set me you know as almost like a job where I didn't have to worry about the the income, you know, you it's like a retainer almost. But yeah, from YouTube, the client found me when I was under a thousand subs. He just saw one of my Figma videos, you know, going over. I think it was just some some UI kit, and he saw me going over the the software, and he was like, "Okay, I need some Figma work. This guy seems to know what he's talking about. Let me take a stab at it. Let me let me see what he's up to." So we did a, a few trial projects together. They went really well, so we stayed on for longer and longer and longer and ultimately it allowed me to to have the the mental space and the capacity to get my my earnings covered as freelancing so it was a long retainer while focusing on youtube because primarily that's where i wanted to focus that's my my bread and butter now it's ultimately what, what, I, what i wanted so it, it allowed me to kind of jump from that into where i am now essentially
1: mm. It's interesting that you say that Like YouTube is now your bread and butter. Because I think, was Did you start YouTube thinking, well, I want to show off what I know to get clients? And then mm-hmm. that happened. But then you were like, wait, actually, I really enjoy content creation. And I'm starting to make money from that. So maybe I want to actually lean towards that. Was that kind of your thought process?
0: Exactly. That was exactly right. I created the, the channel because I bought into... One of Rand Segal's courses and funny enough, I'm, I'm collaborating with him with him now on, on his channel, but in the courses it was saying, okay, if you want to gain steady stream of income and clients and do whatever, you either go to them or they come to you. And I said, okay, well, I'm not going to do cold calls. I'm not going to send a thousand emails because I'm just not that kind of personality. I'm more introverted, more closed off, you know, but you know, I'm happy to to try YouTube. I see all these people making a ton of money. I see all these people growing agencies like Christo to $80 million or whatever amount of figures that, that he published that year, you know, <laughs> it seems like it's always growing. But the ultimate consensus was that, okay, I need to create YouTube so that people can come find me. And ultimately that will lead to also growing an audience. And from that audience, I can then monetize it in whatever way is, is available at the time. Whether it's ads, sponsorships, creating a SaaS course, whatever. But that very quickly turned into, okay, so freelancing is one thing and it's great. You earn a, a lot of money, but what is your time actually worth? How much time are you spending worrying about the client, worrying about the the whatever outsource you decided to to do? So that's the primary focus to switching, ultimately switching from reducing client work to solely focusing on YouTube as bread and butter. You know, it was it was an idea of Okay, we've got opportunities in the freelancing world, but I don't want to spend my time doing, you know, doing. <laughs> very simply put, you know, I want to spend my time in a more in a more free matter. You know, being able to travel, being able to not worry about meetings, go down, have a lunch at wherever if I want to, you know. So that's right. that's kind of where where that incentive came from. It's really interesting though that you you started
1: content creation thinking I want to get clients, and then actually, yeah it turned into, you know, this, this kind of main gig for you and main income and Mm -hmm. and where you want to spend your time. Do you think that one big thing that maybe a lot of web don't do enough is content creation? Because, you know, everyone talks Mm -hmm. about showing your work, a lot of the time, someone will spend months on a a project and then do one tweet about it and be like, okay, Mm -hmm. show my work waiting for clients now. But what you've done is consistently put a lot of time into making content, you know, thinking of ideas, scripting, filming videos, uploading every single week. And Mm -hmm. now you're in a completely different place. But do you feel like Webflowers don't do content creation enough? And if not, where do you think they're going wrong and how can they do better?
0: Yeah, I think this ultimately stems down to personal branding. When you are a a web designer, developer, whatever you want to call yourself, you are ultimately competing against every other web designer, web developer. It's ultimately about taking a look at the work that you're doing and saying, okay, is this quote unquote better or not than everything else that I'm seeing out there? If you think that you can compete with the designs that you see on Dribbble, with the designs that you see on Twitter, you know, all, all these people, then why not just post a screenshot of the work that you're doing and ultimately see who who comes at you from it you know why why not just share the work that you're doing the work in progress the idea of what you are as a designer you have no idea who's who's going to be on the other side of it when i post content i have no idea who's who's watching it when i post uh, a screenshot of my recap of the year i have no idea who's going to see it maybe it's it's another university lecture that wants me to do, you know, it's like, I, I have no idea who who's on the other side of it. And why not go full force into it, showcase daily updates, weekly updates, whatever you want to do, but why not just be consistent with it and see what happens? That's, that's the idea.
1: I saw a, a tweet that you put where you said, I've posted long form content on YouTube every week for over two years. Here are some of the life lessons it's taught me. And the lessons are patience, how essentially yeah. no one was watching the videos for a long time, but. But then the next lesson, exponential growth, there's a compound effect that happens when you keep posting for that amount of time. People keep searching mm-hmm. for the same keywords and you, you get more clued up about keywords, and then more and more people show up. And that kind of strengthens the muscle of creating the discipline. And then you've got um, you know, your final point about one percent improvement every time. So, you know, every single video you're gonna get better and better. So post consistently about Mm -hmm. the work you do show your personality through every post and you'll get more and more confident doing that and I think something else that I've personally found and maybe resonates with you is you need to find somewhere to post that you actually want to Mm -hmm. hang out like that you naturally are engaged with the community that's already there because that means that it's not so much of a chore to post it's like Mm -hmm. I want to hang out here anyway so I might as well get involved in the community that's already here um, which will naturally in turn propel you to to post consistently, but also have a community that likes you back. Is
0: that fair? Yeah, 100%. If you're not confident in the platform that you're posting, either you don't like doing short form content or you don't like doing long form or you don't like writing or whatever it is, that content is going to do well. It's the same thing looking back at, at being a designer and competing with, with everybody else in the market. It's okay, I'm posting content, but I don't enjoy posting this content. Is this going to do better than someone that enjoys to create this content every single day or every single week? Is it going to compare in the quality? Absolutely not, because you can't compete with someone that that loves doing it. You can't compete with someone that is actually enjoying the process of sitting down, recording, uploading, editing, whatever. So naturally, you need to be posting in the places that you find more comfortable for, for posting. You know, if you're already big on Twitter, then dive into that. You know, double down on on Twitter. If you're if you're big on Instagram and Reels and And shorts I mean and and stories then that's that's your ticket (laughs) you know there's there's no need to to say okay I'm gonna bring everybody to my Twitter now it's like no one's gonna follow you to your Twitter that's not how it works you need to first explode on one platform and then maybe people will follow you but first you need to be comfortable posting consistently so that it it can compete with people that that are naturally doing it you know Mm Okay, I want to get
1: into your your failures now because I feel like we have a really good sense of who you are, your personality, and and where you're at now. But let's dig into kind of how you've got to where you are. So, tell me about your first failure. You took on a nightmare client when you were really young, and you struggled to deal with it. Talk to me about that.
0: Mm -hmm. I think I, I, I picked this one because I think it's it's an important lesson to a lot of beginner freelancers and you know people that listen to us. It's when I was, I don't know if I was 15 or 16, I was still starting freelancing, and I got my biggest project at the time, which was, I think, $500 or something, and I was still doing graphic design. So to, to give you an over idea of the problem, so I, I took on a client, and it was a redesign of clothing, essentially, to to design this guy's fashion line. problem was that he wasn't using me as a creative force, he was using me as a as a technical force, you know I don't know how to create these mockups. You will do my vision onto these mockups. You will create what I want you to create. And it came to a point where he was then asking me why it didn't look good, and <laughs> you know blaming blaming the the technical person why his designs didn't look good and what what I'm doing wrong. And when, when you're when you're that young and you struggle to defend your work and defend what you've done and Talk to the client in a respectful manner. Where you're saying, "Like, hey, listen, I'm just the I'm just the messenger here. You know, you can't you can't be be shitting on me. You know, it's these these are your designs. But that ultimately developed into a relationship that was super toxic. lasted for weeks and weeks and weeks. And it was a fixed project, unlimited revisions, horrible clients, toxic. You know, so it was it was a nightmare. And the way that it ended, the way that I, I finally managed to solve it was. I gave him all the all the working files, which you sh- shouldn't. That's not necessarily the best way to go about it. But I gave him all the working files. I refunded him half of his half of his uh, payment, and I said, you know, I, I washed my hands. I'm I'm done with you. I'm done with this. But that is ultimately, I think, to this day, one of the worst clients I've ever had. And I'm very thankful that I had that when I was so young, because you know, from then on, I realized, okay, okay. 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 <laughs> Let's take a look. Oh, went wrong here. You, we you, we can't have unlimited revisions. We can't have a fixed price this low. We can't do this long of a time frame. You know, it's it's just going to drive you insane. It's not it's not sustainable. So thanks to that, I was able to to realign myself and and understand what what actually needed to be done to have a successful freelancing project. You know.
1: Hmm. Wow, a lot of lessons learned there. So this example is. Kind of crucial for any beginners who might be listening to to the podcast at the start, you're so keen to work and so keen to impress the client, and you're like, I'll do anything like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. To get paid to do the thing that you want to do, you're getting paid to do creative work, right? So you're like, get in, but you might not have developed the soft skills that you need and, and and learning to say no as well. I think. As yeah. creatives, a lot of the time you do say yes a lot because you want to please the client. You know, obviously they're paying you for the work, and, and there's this uh, relationship. Lessons there, then let's break down what yeah. you would do now to fix the things that you know you learned there. Yeah, well now the
0: the projects that that I take on are are quite different to, <laughs> to what I was doing back then. So revision work is is different. You know, sometimes it's it's more of a retainer based client. So it's, it's almost ongoing all the time and the, the amount of hours depend and the amount of work that has already been put in. So it's, it's not that, that black and white in terms of, okay, three revisions and then we're done. The way that a lot of people do it is more, more strict. You know, They say, okay, we've got three check-ins and those can be our revisions. And after those revisions, if you're still not, not happy with it, then we have an hourly rate that we're going to, to set up. To, to finalize this, because if not, it's going to go on forever and we're going to get charged for it and it's going to be a loss for us. So you have the three revisions and then you do the hourly rate. And then at the end, there's a, either a happy client or a not so happy client because he's managed to to spend more than he wanted. But I think ultimately that's that's a problem with communication between the client not having a clear idea of what he wants and the designer overpromising and under-delivering.
1: Yeah. And I also think there's learning to have a clear process as well the client has an idea of what they want but how to get there is the thing that they don't really know and as a designer it's not just about doing the design right it's it's actually leading the client and trying to educate them throughout the process so that you're both in total alignment um, you know throughout the project And, and that's where learning the soft skills of communication guiding your client to get through the process as frictionless as possible really comes after Doing it a lot of times, I guess. Yeah, 100%. But it's fascinating that you had that experience so young. I I can imagine that was quite scarring, though. That might have made you think, you know what? I want to go and work for an agency that knows what they're doing because I'm confused as to how to do this now. Or was that never a case of you?
0: No, that was never never a thought because, I mean, in in the end, I wanted to work in an agency when I was first years of uni. I I was thinking, okay, there's all these massive agencies that are coming to do talks at uni. I want to go work at one of these. But when I was so young, for some reason, I've always wanted to to be a, an entrepreneur. I'm saying that in massive quotes, but like I've always wanted to to work for, for myself, and that has never been due to me wanting you know big clients or whatever. It's always been for the freedom, for mm-hmm. the the ability of having no one telling me what to do, essentially. And I think that stems from not enjoying school and doing more of a entrepreneurial. St- Stuff while I was in school, I think it stems from now. I'm not sure, but in the end, the the freedom of it is what kept me pushing to to follow freelancing and to go more and more and more. So I think the the, the main the main lesson learned here, even though it was quite scary, quite scarring at the time, is that it's it's only one bad apple. It, there's only so much you can do to to educate the client, get him to understand that their their vision isn't great and that comes from just having more experience learning how to navigate people you know i've had friends who've also had terrible experiences when they're beginners and you say okay this is from my experience this is what you need to do now you need to go up to them give them the files you know and just fire them because ultimately it's it's, it's not worth it's not worth the mental space the money it's none of it's worth it Tell me
1: about uh, failure number two then not raising your prices sooner
0: yeah so I think this one's also great for a lot of beginners out there but I was starting out on upwork right I, I started a lot of my projects on upwork and one of the one of the issues or I guess looking back at it now one of the benefits of upwork is that you have so much competition that you're basically starving yourself for for a project right you're you're saying okay you can do a logo for 100 i'm going to do it for 25 <laughs> you know? it's it's just pennies for for the amount of work that that you're doing one of the big mistakes that i had was not understanding the value that i was giving clients and the quality of work that i was creating and i could have been charging 10 20 30x of what i was actually charging and i see that now because the amount of, of money that, that we that we charge people now is is 10 20 30x compared to what i was doing back then but the value that you're giving a client is is incomparable to to the to the Amount of money that you're charging, especially when you're a beginner, you know, you're charging three hundred dollars for a website, and this website is going to be used by the client to sell a thousand dollar product. You know, it, it just makes no sense. So this is when Chris Do's, uh I don't know if it's Chris Doe's or not, but that's where I learned it. the the value based pricing comes in. You're charging the clients, not necessarily the project, but that's much harder to do when you're a beginner. It's much harder to do when when you're in your first few projects. So it's it's a difficult road to navigate when you don't really know which way to take it, you know, and the first call that you have, you ask them, okay, so how many, how many sales are you going to get from, you know, and they they can just say like, shut the fuck up, (laughs) paying you for your time and not, not your, not your advice. So it's, it's a, it's a hard road to get into, but once you start diving into value-based pricing, you, you get a 10 page website that would cost you $1,000 to make, you can start charging 10, 20, 30K for it, you know? And that solely depends on the client and how you navigate that rather than the quality of work that you're putting into it.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, in terms of advice to someone that's starting out, let's say... They've never had a client before, but they're they're really keen to get into it. Would you advise starting on Fiverr if there was a ballpark figure as to the prices that you were starting out at? Can you give us a flavor of that as well?
0: My very, very, very first project. I do I can still go find my, my Upwork account. I mean, it's still up there. But my very first project, I think I did it for like $50 or $25 or something like that. And if you're just getting started in the freelancing game and you want to to use something like Upwork or Fiverr, I think that's completely fine. And the reason is, if you are using it as a platform to learn and a platform to get real world experience, that's fantastic. But if you're using it as a way to get rich, as a way to get all of your stream of income, that is going to be very difficult because apart from yourself paying taxes, paying for expenses, paying rent, paying whatever, you have to pay, I think it's, I don't don't know, but I think it's around 30% of all your income goes straight to Upwork. You know, so you're, the biggest tax in your freelancing world is the platform that you're on. So it makes no sense to to stay on there, you know? So what I always say is if you want to gain real world experience, try to first go through friends and family, try to see who might need a website, you know, use fake briefs to, to get started with projects. But if you do want something a bit more than that, I think Upwork is fine. But as soon as you have the availability to, take them off of Upwork, them off of fiber off of wherever and create the project with them but just don't use the the payment gateways of Upwork because it's just going to put a massive dent in your in your income.
1: Definitely it's interesting that you know you started there and your first project was $25 and now you're talking about doing 10 page websites for 30 grand. Like that's insane that that jump. Um, I don't know how many X that is but um but what you're saying is that has taken years to not only get the skill set and confidence using Webflow and as a freelancer, but also a huge mindset shift as to how much value you're providing for the client and then how much to charge accordingly. And that's to mm-hmm. do with you know, understanding the concept of value-based pricing, which I've banged on about. And again I learned that from Christo. I think pretty much anyone listening dive into yeah, yeah. the kind of pricing content on the future to to think A little bit about how to price your work because the content on there is really really useful and also your content i mean you've you've actually talked about developing a personal brand and the importance of that and then you know how to think about pricing projects as well tell me about uh failure number three then working all the
0: time yeah (laughs) i think i think this is this is one that um that we all can can relate with i think i i just made a video titled is freelancing even worth it or something along the lines of that and the the main idea of of that content is to kind of outline okay we've got the pros and the cons right we've got the pros would be money freedom connections the con is going to be hours overhead learning 30 different skills that you wouldn't need to if you were just in a as an in-house designer or or an agency and that kind of stems into the rest of my life. <laughs> it's it's looking at it. You know, I, I don't take any days off really. I take maybe one day off, half a day off, but I'm always working. You know, after this podcast, I'm doing something else. After that, I'm doing, you know, so I'm always, always, always working. So now, not only am I doing YouTube, I'm also building my own SaaS. I'm also uh, mentoring people. So it's it's never ending. You <laughs> know, and I think that's when you have big goals that's just the nature of it because you can always be improving. And that's something that that I think a lot of people struggle with and myself included. Yeah. Do you struggle with that a lot? Because I I feel like everybody at some point is going to struggle with it.
1: Yeah. I really resonate with that because I think a lot of the time freelancers want to freelance because of the word freedom. Everyone talks about this word freedom, but what does that actually mean? Because what I find is that people talk about financial freedom. People talk about freedom to spend more time with their friends and family people talk about freedom to choose what they do with their day you know when you quit a nine to five you, you well i don't know about you but i find that then it's like <laughs> i mean people talk about quitting a nine to five to start a five to nine i feel like this is like i'm always thinking about this this is a kind of personal thing but I've, I've just split up with yep. my girlfriend and i think Part of the reason is that this freelancing thing, you need to, you have these really intense goals and you pour yourself into them and it's because you love doing what you do, but it does affect people around you. And it's so important to, to take not only time for yourself, just to switch off, but also time to spend with loved ones. So I think, yes, I I also really resonate, you know, working all the time and it's, You know, you're struggling with burnout and there's all sorts of things, but it's really important to uh, recognize how it affects the rest of the people in your life as well.
0: Yeah. Well, The thing is that when you're working on on something that, that you enjoy doing, it doesn't feel like you're working. Right. I don't feel like I'm working a minute of my day, but the amount of time that you're taking away from other people, the amount of time that you're taking away from from experiences, you know, not going down on this trip with your friends, you know, you're saying, oh, no, I can't, I'm busy, I, I can't, whatever. That is going to to hurt your relationships <clears throat> and your your experiences. I mean, thankfully, I'm still super young and, and I'm discovering all of this now, but the pro is that, okay, I'm achieving a lot and I'm doing a lot of cool things. I'm doing everything I want to be doing it and I'm making money. And I'm, doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. But w- what does the con look like? You know, okay, I'm mm-hmm. not traveling. I'm not ex- having these experiences. I'm not meeting up with with friends i'm not meeting up with family i'm not it's a give and take you're you're sacrificing a lot and you really do need to take a look at at what you're doing whether it's you, you need to take a look at what you're doing and understand if it's worth if it's worth the sacrifice is this one project going to change your life is this one piece of work going to to dramatically benefit you in any way if it's not, then you should consider spending the time with your family. You know? One thing that I saw, I, I don't remember who, who said it, but a, a good way to kind of ground yourself and see if what you're doing is really worth it is to ask yourself to have the question, do I want to do this? The only two available answers are either fuck yes or absolutely not. And if it's not the first one, then don't do it. I only came with this podcast because in my head, I was like, Fuck yes. I've seen this guy on Twitter. You know, I've seen this guy do a lot of podcasts. I've, I've heard what he said, you know, and it's, it's good. So I was like, absolutely, let's do it. But man, I get a lot of bad, of bad requests. And if you're on the fence, the answer is it has to be no, because it's not worth your time. Your minutes are so precious that if you're spending any second of it doing something that you don't enjoy, you're wasting your time. It doesn't matter if it's bringing you an extra, I, don't, I mean, it depends on, on how, how, how limited you are. But if it's not bringing you an amount of money or time or influence or power or whatever you want to measure it by, that is dramatically changing your life, then don't do it. You know, it does not matter that much. It's not that important. Another tip that, that I've been thinking about a lot is the, the idea of, of compound interest, right? And creating things that will develop in, in a compound fashion. I don't know how to say that, but things that will, they will, they will only improve over time and increase over time. And that, to me, looks like creating content, creating videos. You know, one piece of content can blow up in a year. You know, my most viewed video, for now, is a is a piece of content that I didn't feel like doing. And I just kind of threw out there. And now it happens to be my most watched video. And creating things like that, that over time can benefit you and can increase your value and your money and your time, whatever. Creating things like that is what is important to me now. You know, creating a SaaS, creating maybe a course, creating digital products that can grow without me. That is what I'm interested in doing right now. That is what's worth my time. Not doing a freelance client that I'm going to spend a thousand hours on and then I'm never going to see him again. Okay, cool. I've got money in my pocket. That's, that's extra runway. But if you don't need the runway, then do things that will grow over time and can grow without you. That's, that's the way I look at things. That's
1: awesome. Okay. So there's two big nuggets there. If it's, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. But essentially what you're saying is you kind of know whether you want to do something or not. And if you're kind of on the fence about it, then uh, maybe consider, you know, what it's going to give you, if anything at all, because maybe you do need that runway, like you say, and you might need to take on projects that you don't entirely Absolutely. love. But- that's going to give you the wrong way to do projects you do love. Uh,
0: I, I also want to say, I want to want to preface everything I said by saying, I'm in a position where I was not two years ago. Two years ago, I would have needed the projects. I would have needed the money. But at this point, I'm at a certain point where I can say, I want to diversify what I'm doing. I want to create value. I want to create things that can grow without me. And my time I, might not be best spent doing this project. But if you need the money, and if the project is is important to you for your survival, for rent, for whatever, then of course, you know, disregard everything I'm saying. Important
1: caveat there. And then uh, the other thing that you mentioned there is about compound interest. How um, there's things that you can do once, and they can be, um, you know, if it's a course, for example, that. You spend a lot of time doing that one thing, but then that can be serving mm-hmm. a lot of people. And there's a lot of yeah leverage that you can have with digital products rather than just working with one single client and doing their website and, and helping them achieve their goals. Okay, now I have a harder question for you. Are you ready for it? Mm-hmm. What is your next failure going
0: to be? The the product that I'm going to launch
1: <laughs> in <laughs> in a few
0: weeks. That.
1: Tell us about that.
0: So, well, it's going to be my first real SaaS, you know, with a developer and with you know, with heads with, with a head and, and a body and, a, and feet. You know, I don't know if that that saying makes sense in English, but it it's got its own its own weight. You know, it's it's a it's a real project. It's not a notion downloadable. It's it's a it's a software. You know, so I'm going to learn a lot from the launch, I'm you gonna know, learn a lot from people's feedback. Maybe the pricing system isn't right. Maybe the the whatever it is doesn't doesn't necessarily equate to what it should be. So that's gonna be my next failure hundred percent. And I'm trying to see all angles of this project, see how I can avoid those failures by you can't you can't stop the train. You know, there's gonna be something that's gonna come and you're not gonna see it. And so that's that's where the next one's coming from. <laughs>
1: Hey guys, thanks for listening to episode 27 of Webflow, and thanks for Arnal for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to have a creator who is willing to share their vulnerabilities uh, with me on the podcast. So thank you for sharing so vulnerably. And this podcast, I thought was an absolute corker. We had so many nuggety lessons learned there from You know, working with different clients and realizing that you actually have a lot of power to to say no and fire your client if it really gets to that stage. Also, the importance of having a process really crucial to understand, have a system to bring your clients through and make it as frictionless as possible for them in the process. And then also, we talked about raising prices, understanding value-based pricing, recommend checking out the future, there is so much valuable advice on there, and realizing that you are providing tons of value, not just creating, designing, and building a website for a client, but also creating them a system that is scalable with their business. And then finally, if you say yes to everything, you're saying no to a lot of things like, hanging out with your friends and family, and other things like that. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I hope this provided you guys with as much value as it provided me. Next week, I'll be interviewing Dememe Arts, a Nigerian web designer who has a passion for making digital experiences for companies with taste. Ooh, a bit saucy there. Excited to chat to him next week. Stick around. Until next week, web playlist.